Hello everyone, and welcome to the File Room Podcast, a podcast about the X-Files. That is also a desperate attempt to reconnect a friendship across the Atlantic. I'm Edwin Davis. And I'm Michaela Livingston-Banks. If you're new to the X-Files or watching it for the tenth time, watch along with us while we explore the dark corners of the American psyche. Via a TV show from the 90s. So, Michaela, how are things this week? Things are cold Mm -hmm. because it's winter. Um, But otherwise, we're in the steady flow of getting on, getting on. Got work. Did my nails. Seeing friends. Podcasting. Simple life. Yeah. It's nice. Went for a nice walk yesterday. Saw some woodland and nature. Any any particularly any particularly notable animals, the usual things, rabbits, etc. Do you know what? I didn't even see any rabbits. There was a bunch of birds. I think it was possibly a bit too cold. Uh, mm. The animals were all smart and hiding somewhere much warmer, and we were stupid and out in the cold. Um, so yeah, how's your week been? Good. Yeah, uh, it also is cold here in Florida. Not as cold, I think as where you are and certainly not as cold as other parts of the of america yeah. which is under a real uh, painful cold snap at the moment with really severe wind chills here mm. it's in it's like mid 40s in fahrenheit which i think is like eight or ten degrees or something celsius so it is cold for florida but it is mostly fine for anywhere else certainly anywhere else i've ever lived it's just like i'll put put on a hoodie and you'll be fine um but no yeah it's been uh it's been a fun week uh just getting back into the swing of things at work although really my biggest achievement this week was every two weeks at work we have a uh like an hour-long game session where people play things like uh, jackbox and things like that and um i i won a game of among us as an imposter for the first time which i've never done before because usually uh i get caught out very easily for being clearly a liar and (laughs) this was one of the first times where uh, i wasn't caught out and we managed to kill everyone and i felt a a tremendous sense of achievement uh, and it was great teamwork by me and the other imposter where as soon as someone found a body we were the first people to start asking questions which really should have been the the big clue to everyone. <laughs> like, yeah. The people who are really overly interested in solving the crime maybe are the ones who had committed it. So, so it's the, rewarding to lie is, is the moral of that story. Yeah, but most of the time I find, yeah, it, it helps to lie. <laughs> most of the time. I was going to say, you're just, you're such an honest person, Ed. No wonder yeah. you struggle with this, but I'm questioning that now <laughs> no no it is generally that i just um i'm just a terrible liar i am very i get very flustered very easily so uh a game like that where it where sometimes it comes down to like three people left and <laughs> you have to try and convince them that you're not the one who did it um yeah yeah it can get very very difficult to uh <laughs> uh to keep up the facade um but no, that was that was like the only major interesting thing that happened uh, in the week, really, uh, of of interest. Um, but I, I certainly felt a great sense of achievement out of it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, before we we get into things, I want to give a big shout out to our friend Paul, who's been listening. Um, And I think he probably wins the award for person I thought least likely to listen. (laughs) Not because he's not a good friend or anything, but just because I didn't really think it would be up his street. Um, Well, he used to listen to our student radio show. And he used to complain that we talked too much (laughs) and didn't play enough music. (laughs) Have we learned our lesson, Ed? Yeah, we've gone entirely against his his wishes and gone all... Well, there's some music, there's some clips occasionally. Yeah, there's there's music at the beginning and the end. Um, Yeah, (laughs) well, anyway, hi, hi friend Paul. Um, And even if you're not a friend, thanks for listening. (laughs) You are a podcast (laughs) friend now. yeah, get in touch. The, the deets will be at the end. You can get in touch with us and tell us what you think about our inane chatter. Um, high quality analysis, not inane chatter. Yeah, well, this this bit that starts the inane part. I think everything else, once we get into the meat of the episode, it's always entirely on track and, <laughs> and correct. Yes, and never going off random uh, lines of thought ever at all. Mm. No, see, you do... You do the good quality analysis and I just go, stupid thought. I open my mouth and I let my belly rumble. And that's kind of how this goes. Yeah, I it's, think it's a it's, nice dynamic. Yeah, it's like, it's like jazz. I'm playing the bass line and then you're kind of like <laughs> bebopping around on top of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, I, shall, we, shall we give the kids what they, they want? Yeah, sure. Let's let's get into it. Uh, why don't you give us a synopsis for the episode Shadows? So we see two men in the cold opener uh, getting murdered um, after they attack a woman named Lauren Kite. Um, she is seen to be grieving the death of her boss, Howard Graves, who has committed suicide and um, she's clearly very close with. Um, Mulder and Scully get called onto this by a couple of mysterious agents um, from some unknown agency. Uh, they want to look at the bodies and s- ask them if they've ever seen this before because they can't figure out how they were killed. Spines crushed at the neck, no outward visible signs of injury. It's all a little weird to say the least. Um, so we know we're in the right place with the X-Files here. Um, so Mulder and Scully, they look into the murder. Uh, they connect it to Lauren via CCTV with some excellent investigation. Um, they see her getting attacked and they see that there's someone or something else there too. Um, they can't really make it out. Uh, so the episode sees a whole bunch of kind of weird, spooky things happening as Mulder and Scully investigate, trying to figure out what, what's going on. Um, I guess the main question that's raised is, is Howard Graves actually dead? Um, or is he alive? Has he faked his death? Um, but eventually it's revealed that, uh, I think it's the CIAs, the, 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 where those couple of mysterious agents are from, um, are looking into Howard Graves' business um, for selling parts, items to a terrorist group. Um, though they're not really sure how Lauren's involved. Lauren gets to find out via vision from ghostly Howard Graves that he was in fact murdered, it wasn't suicide. The new boss is threatening Lauren, sends hit men, or hit people, we should say. Mm-hmm, yeah. They get killed. Let's be inclusive. We, we have to be inclusive. Um, of our hired killers. Yeah. <laughs> of our hired killers, for sure, yeah. 
Um, women can be hired killers too. Clearly, it's great. Um, anyway, <laughs> Lauren eventually agrees to help the FBI with all of this. Um, because she, I'm, she doesn't really know what's going on, but sort of figures it out. Um, and so yeah, this this all kind of culminates in a search of the office, um, whereby shit hits the fan, or more specifically, a shit ton of office paper hits the fan. Um, and yeah, Howard Graves' ghost. Um, eventually reveals the hidden evidence for the FBI to pick up so that um, the day is thus saved and Lauren drives off into the sunset to start a new life. That sums up what happens, more or less. What, w what was your take on this? What jumps, what jumps out at you about this episode? Uh, so I think this is an interesting one. This is the first time that we have a, a ghost uh, featured prominently in an X-File, which is a and kind of episode they would do periodically over the years i think it's a subject matter that they sometimes struggle with because mm. it's there's there's so many ghost stories that have been made over the years it's hard to kind mm -hmm. of come up with your own unique spin yeah. on it yeah, in yeah. the way that the show was so good at and i think this one does suffer a little bit because it's not quite as scary as it probably needs to be to totally mm. work and i think that their misdirection which is that initially it's not clear that it is a ghost like mm. the theory that um Mulder initially suggests that maybe lauren kite has sort of uh, submerged um psychokinetic powers and like mm. maybe the reason that those two men died was because she like lashed out in fear not mm -hmm. that you know there was another figure involved uh, I, I feel like that red herring doesn't quite work as well as it could do. Like it would be that the episode maybe tips its hand a little too cleanly early on with, you know, she's in the, in the opening scene, she's in Howard's office and she's yeah. uh, obviously clearly very uh, shaken up by his, his death and everything. And then things start moving around her. So it's, you, it's fairly clear early on that there is a ghost involved in this. So, it sort of feels like the the head fake that they try to do doesn't really work as effectively as if it was clear as if it was really the waters are really muddy from early on of like oh is it you know is she doing this is there some other force affecting her so I, I that to me I think does hamstring the episode a little bit in it being like really effective as a ghost story that being said I do think there are some things in it that um I think are really good. I think Lisa Waltz is very good as Lauren. I think that she has some really good scenes, particularly when she is being interrogated by Mulder and Scully and she's kind of like talking about, um, you know, all the things that have been going on uh, around her and, you know, her, uh, how close she was to Howard and things like that. Um, you know, she, she rides this line where, she's almost uncomfortably emotional about it in terms mm. of the sort of acting you usually see in network mm. television so it feels really raw uh, mm. i do think the episode is well shot it's directed by michael cattleman uh, who previously we would talk about in squeeze he was the guy that they brought in to kind of fix squeeze after the original director did a bad job of it mm. uh, i think he does a really good job here particularly the shot of Mulder and scully arriving at the morgue at bethesda hospital where they're walking mm. towards the camera and it's all dark and moody i think that stuff all looks really cool um 
and I do think a lot some of the stuff around the ghost uh, around Howard's ghost is w- well communicated the scene that you just mentioned where she has the vision where first she hears Howard's voice and then she walks into the bathroom and she sees blood kind of slowly appearing in the bathtub and then going down the drain um, I think that's like really really effectively done so there's yeah. definitely stuff I like about this episode but I think it doesn't quite hang together as well as 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 you would hope yeah well i definitely agree with all of that um what i would say is you know with with you've got a really i mean the storyline holds together really well like the Mm. lines of reasoning the sort of procedural nature of it whatever that all makes perfect sense and in Mm. And in that sense, it was a bit refreshing, I guess, after the last episode to be like, boom, 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 this all makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. More or less, it hangs together. Like, they could have maybe done the cold opener better by not showing, you know, the the motivational ornament moving um, mm-hmm. and various things like that. But it's just like, this. my, my sense is, okay, this was like a competent episode um there's some nice banter in there it makes sense it flows well i get you know mainly but it's not particularly interesting and it had all the tropes of like kind of ghost poltergeistness to it mm. but it was like oh okay then <laughs> i was yeah. like this is fine this is fine mm-hmm. but it's not like getting me excited it was like, like you said it wasn't it wasn't scary in any way shape or form um yeah it was just fine <laughs> yeah and i think in in terms of like the poltergeist stuff as well i think there's a bit uh when um there's a bit when Mulder first suggests that it could be a poltergeist and uh, uh scully goes there here which is a line from the film poltergeist and like that's uh... a very funny little nod and uh, that's one of the things that I quite like is that The X-Files is a show that's keenly aware of the things that it is riffing on and it will acknowledge it mm-hmm. and that in a way it kind of grounds it. It's like, okay, so this is taking place essentially in our world. Poltergeist is a movie that exists in mm-hmm. our world. Carrie mm-hmm. also gets referenced yeah. very briefly, but it also can sometimes just feel like they're throwing their hands up in the air and saying like, yeah, we don't really have like a new it we don't have a new take on poltergeists so we're just kind of gonna do some of this stuff also i think this episode was heavily uh influenced by a movie from the 80s called the entity which is about a similar concept although flipped on its head in the in that one the ghost is um essentially a stalker who uh attacks and like ruins the life of the woman as opposed to this one where it protects her which is that in itself is kind of a nice little twist on that idea but um i don't think it kind of does enough about that i was reading again to reference um monsters of the week um emily st james talks about how the very very ending of this episode which is lauren has gone to the midwest somewhere and has started a new life but it's suggested that maybe howard is still Mm -hmm. following her still haunting her because uh stuff starts moving around but then they joke about oh actually you know it's just because the l train's going over or a bus is going by or whatever yeah Um, yeah. so in in her review uh, emily st james talks about how 
that kind of has this gives the the episode an unintended creepiness where you kind of think oh it's kind of as if your stalker has just like followed you from beyond the grave and like yeah. the rest of the episode doesn't really play with that idea but part of me wonders if maybe that would have been slightly more compelling um if instead of howard being essentially a violent but benevolent force yeah obviously mm. he kills a bunch of people but he's doing it to protect lauren if there was that sense of him almost being kind of suffocating as well but that's not mm. what the episode is going for so you can't really necessarily criticize it for not doing that but it's just i i, I was struck by that because oh yeah it does kind of have this idea that crops up in the last like 30 seconds is like a pre-credit stinger to kind of leave the audience with a sense of ambiguity or whatever uh, mm. but it's kind of a more interesting concept than anything else the episode really does yeah well there's a few things in there so i did feel like that very last end bit um there was a lot that you could read from her reaction and i realized this mm. is, you you could have made a whole episode as you just described but but my take was from her reaction was either a sense of relief that it was just a truck rolling by or yeah. a sense of um reassurance that howard was still with her mm. um so i thought that was good either way it was good just a good little look good little moment that yeah. you know you could take quite a lot away from um but yeah like she did seem bothered by all the things that was going on around her it wasn't like yeah she wasn't feeling particularly happy about the fact that these i mean i'm sure she was relieved that she didn't get killed by the the couple of guys that attacked her um yeah. or the hit people um the hit people uh but she she generally seemed pretty distraught about having Howard around and you know her not being able to do anything about it um but yeah going back to what you were saying as well about how it was like oh there's nothing really more we can do with this story because um in an interview with um the writers uh so with Glenn Morgan and James Wong I think both of them were like meh we did this episode because because the studio execs wanted a ghost one mm -hmm. um, and they wanted it to be relatable. You know, we wanted to make it, you know, so that it was based in some sort of CD massage parlor and have a bit more darkness to it. And mm -hmm. um, I think in the end, they, they thought Michael Cattleman, Cattleman did a good job with like shooting it and everything. Um but I don't think they were particularly enamored themselves with this episode because they were more or less just giving the studio what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, um, I think as well, there was some mention in the reading I did around it where uh, I think some of it came from suggestions that they do more episodes where Mulder and Scully help people because mm. the, the, the run of previous episodes, there's not really that personal connection they have to any of the people they meet they're either they're mm. like investigating phenomena whereas here they put a human face on it you know they're, mm. they're trying to help lauren and on the one hand i think that's very successful because like i said i think that um uh, lisa waltz is, is really good in that role and yeah. you do feel for her and you do get yeah, a lot yeah, of, for sure you have a lot of sympathy for her yeah. but it kind of has that problem people always say about like um raids of the lost ark people say like oh indiana jones just 
could have not been in it and it would have been the same outcome because the Nazis would have opened mm. the Ark and it would have killed them mm. all. In this one, you do kind of have that same feeling, which is like, oh, Mordor and Scully didn't really help her because if they hadn't shown up, Howard would have just killed all those people anyway. And yeah. I guess the fact that they bring in, you know, other uh, agencies to investigate the office at the end, like that's their big contribution. Mm. But it does kind of feel like they are just there to witness a phenomena and they don't have a huge impact on helping Lauren that much. It's that that mm. stuff all just kind of happens and they just happen to be there. Um, so I, so I think on the one hand it is effective, but it's, you don't get the sense that they really helped the situation. <laughs> they just saw a weird thing and then went back to their lives. Yeah. Though, I don't know, like the, thinking about that interrogation scene, sort of brings up a couple of things so Mm. when scully sort of says to lauren um like if you help us we can help Mm. howard um find closure whatever you know unfinished business and it'll all be over sort of thing and Mulder is like what what are you doing scully you don't believe Mulder, there's no such thing as ghosts or psychokinesis. I'm sure there's an explanation, but I believe that she believes. And my priority is to get her to help us stop Dorland. Well, we may have just sacrificed our best opportunity to observe spectral phenomena. No, I'm giving us the chance to solve a case that's tangible instead of chasing after shadows. I'd wonder if other agents um, not associated with the X-Files might not take that line of lauren's story particularly seriously maybe lauren wouldn't open up to them because the whole thing was like you know lauren wasn't speaking to them at first she wasn't speaking to the other agents either and eventually she opened up because Mulder kind of empathized with her and then scully did Mm. too and obviously scully did so in a manipulative fashion to kind of move their investigation forward um um so yeah, that's not so much that like no one else could have done it, but maybe they would have needed to have had some link, belief, whatever, in the kind of ghost story situation that Lauren was telling. Um, but also what was interesting, I thought, sort of linked to this, is that what like after Mulder's like, sort of confronting scully like you don't believe um and he seems kind of annoyed that by moving the investigation forward to to get the kind of evidence against the company and everything they won't be able to study the phenomenon Mm. he's more he's more he's definitely more interested in analyzing the spectral phenomenon i forget exactly how he refers to it um and scully's much more like no, we need to focus on the tangible case and obviously then say not chase shadows, which is obviously where the, the episode gets its name from. But um, which is which I thought was maybe a bit of an odd character thing, maybe because I, I kind of feel like over the last few episodes, it's very much been like painted that Mulder is heavily empathetic with whoever and whatever, whereas in this case, he's kind of more interested in getting evidence that ghosts are real. Yeah, it's it is. I, I guess in the Jersey Devil, there is that sense at the end when they kill the Jersey Devil, where he 
was he's like genuinely very upset about it because they can't learn more about it so it is in keeping mm. with his character there yeah. but you're right it is it is odd I, I would say it's more interesting than odd that that yeah. scully is the one who makes that connection in this one I, I do think that one of the things about Mulder in general that is really makes him a very compelling character is that he is very empathetic to people mm. and i th- but at the same time he also is so focused on the paranormal and trying mm. to discover and explain and find tr- uh proof of these things that i think it can make him a little myopic and i think that's mm. coming across here so i think it's it's one of the contradictions of his character that makes him uh that makes him genuinely very interesting that you know mm. he does want to help people but also sometimes helping people is at odds with his interest in the paranormal and the supernatural mm. You know the conversation that they have when they're going to see the pathologist? Um... I think Howard Grace fabricated his own death. Do you know how difficult it is to fake your own death? Only one man has pulled it off. Elvis. He and Lauren Kite are in on something. Maybe an illegal dealing through his company. Something the CIA was interested in. You may be right. Wait. You think I'm right? Sure. All you gotta do is prove Howard Graves is still alive. Do you think that, like, at that point, maybe Mulder was like, "Oh, maybe I've, I've like missed the spot here. Maybe it's not ghosts. Maybe he is still alive." Um, and obviously, they they go in to have the conversation with very deadpan pathologist that I enjoyed very much. Howard Graves is very dead. And it's like, oh yeah, Lauren did the, the the ID. So, and if she's in on it, then maybe he could still be alive. Um, do you think what was your take on um, Mulder's reaction there do you think he was actually like oh maybe I'm wrong (laughs) I I do think that he probably does think that he might be wrong there but his he has the two competing theories of it's either a ghost or it's psychokinesis so I think if he in his mind he's thinking oh maybe i'm wrong about it it's being a ghost but she definitely has some sort of psychic powers so yeah he, he he's probably quids in either way you know he's <laughs> he's going to be right regardless of what it ends up being i do and i do like that as well that it does feel like an episode where Mulder doesn't like he suggests the correct um result at the beginning because he kind of posits both theories but he is mm. not certain about which one it could be until fairly deep into the episode. So I like that there is not just the the normal skeptic believer conflict between him and Scully, but there is also kind of conflict in himself in that he is pursuing two different potential explanations and he has evidence for both and he kind of has to weigh up which one of them is potentially true, uh, which I think is also an interesting wrinkle in the kind of episodes the show has done so far because usually he settles on the explanation fairly early on yeah like um how did john put this that this in the molder logicometer he was mm-hmm. like this is pretty high and i was like okay do you mean that it makes sense or that he's completely batshit like wh- wh- I, this this meter could go either way but he just mm-hmm. meant that it seemed like there was some level of actual rationale underpinning rather than just like leaping to some crazy idea um because you know he's pieced together all these different x-files and this particular case seems to have the hallmarks of kind of all of them and 
yeah the kind of steps of investigation that they go through all make perfect sense like Mulder's train of thought actually holds together in this one more than a lot of them because like you say sometimes he's just like he's made his mind up at the beginning and the investigation is kind of neither here nor there Um, yeah sometimes it's just a case of confirming what he has figured out from the opening scene whereas this one is very much he is working he is using deductive reasoning to be like okay here are the various things that are going on this is the evidence we have there's two plausible explanations for it and then trying to eliminate the one that ends up being incorrect so yeah so i i definitely agree that this is one where it does feel like he isn't just taking an immediate leap because that's what the script requires uh yeah. he it does feel as if he's really trying to work things through in his own mind Mulder mm. is MacGuffin personified mm-hmm. again so obviously Mulder has his various beliefs in things which is why he'll be so quick to just be like it's definitely ghosts or it's definitely aliens or whatever else so we're back to a recurring feature Ed of do you believe in ghosts have you ever seen ghosts Uh, I don't believe in ghosts but I am very scared of them in fiction. I do like ghost. <laughs> I do like ghost stories. Um, yeah. I find it very easy to buy into the fictional logic of a story being told in a world in which ghosts do exist. I myself have never really encountered them, but I do enjoy reading a good ghost story. Growing up in Market Bosworth in Leicestershire, um, there was a local ghost story that the like daughter of the local lord lord dixie i believe um because the like prep school is named after him um Mm. she had like fallen in love with a commoner and they would meet out on the like um fields at night and he the, the, the father obviously disapproved and so he laid out a trap for the the commoner but it caught his daughter and then she died and supposedly if you go out there late at night you would see her figure kind of like wandering around and i always liked that story because you know it does um it's very evocative and also the specific kind of like park where it happened is has a sort of small lake in it so there's always lots of mist everywhere so it's the sort of thing where Mm. if you were out there late at night as i often would be with like friends when i was Mm. like older like you could imagine that you would see figures in it so it's it's an Mm. easy one to kind of um buy into and you know scare yourself a little bit Mm. so and and yeah i i i also often think about um the shining the movie the shining where there's a, a famous story where Stanley Kubrick would phone up Stephen King in the middle of the night and ask him questions about ghosts and they would have like mm. these long discussions and one he often one that particular one that always gets cited was he asked Stephen King if all ghost stories are inherently optimistic because they all inherently mean that there is something after life mm. and i always found that to be a really compelling um idea and i think that mm. is one of the things that has always made me think that ghost stories no matter how scary they are are they there's like a complexity to them mm. that is really compelling to me um 
So yes, that's a long way of saying that. No, I don't believe in ghosts. But <laughs> I, I, you like the idea. Eat, I like the idea, and I will eat up any stories about it. How, how about you? Um, yeah, well, not anymore. But did I ever tell? But, but I have had one experience, which, despite the fact, I don't. I just these days, like, I just don't believe in ghosts. When I was younger like absolutely mm-hmm. it sort of made i'm going to say in my completely uninformed brain at the time but it ma- it kind of made sense in a kind of scientific way because it's just like you know your brain works on kind of electricity where does that energy go mm. like like what like and you know that thing of like you and your consciousness just stopping it was just like but where does it go Mm, um yeah so yeah when i was younger i definitely did and you know i watched the x-files too young so i was scared of the dark (laughs) um you know but yeah did i ever tell you about the experience that i had um when i lived uh down the road from the springvale tavern in sheffield no i don't think so okay I still cannot explain this to this day. So despite the fact I'm saying I don't believe in ghosts and I really don't, uh, I'll happily walk through a graveyard at night, whatever. Like, this is just weird. Anyone listening, if you can explain this, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, first of all, I should say, I was living in this proper old house. Like, it had really thick walls, stone-built, like, foot or two thick walls. Old house. I hadn't been freaked out about it at all until this. Um, so I'd gone out for a run. I'd come back. I'd had a shower. Um, and, you know, I was getting dressed. I had music on. Um, you know, so it was just on my laptop with the speaker, you know, computer speaker set up. And there was like a subwoofer involved in this whole setup. And just like the speaker started buzzing. And then out of the subwoofer, a voice said, put your clothes on, like clear as day. Like it was really vibratey and low, but clear as day. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I had like, not an actual panic attack, but I was like, oh my God, what the? And I was like, just checking the curtains were closed. Like, okay, what the hell? So I got dressed real quick and I went upstairs to see my housemates. Cause I was like convinced that somehow they'd managed to like, transmit through my speakers somehow Mm. i mean i was listening to mp3s but like somehow they'd managed to anyway so and the way they responded my main conclusion here is that it was them taking the piss (laughs) one of them taking the piss so rick rick if you're listening like um because he he sort of pulled his computer speakers out and he was like listening and going hello (laughs) then again i think he also believes in ghosts and stuff so anyway i was so freaked out that like i could not sleep in that room i had to go stay with a friend for like a week i was so freaked out because it was just like um so yeah i was like it definitely wasn't in the music because you know it was it was like music I listened to all the time. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. some new song with some new thing in it. So I, st- I still don't really know. My my best guess is somehow my housemates were fucking with me. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, the thing is, right, 
the things I remember being most scared about when I was younger, you know, um, oh, what was it called? Strange but true, and things like this. There was an mm. episode. Is that what it was called? Strange but true. Yeah, I think sounds that's right. What it was called on in the nineties British TV show. Um, there was an episode of that that I remember watching around a friend's house, um, and we were pretty young. It must have been about like eight, nine, ten, something like that. And it was about recording poltergeists' voices on on tape cassettes, mm. and they 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 played these apparent things back, and like more than other kind of stories of like furniture being moved around and anything but but, like hearing this supposed poltergeist dead person's voice um that freaked me the fuck out so the other option of course is just me generally having some sort of subconscious thing about being in this old house and like having some sort of oral hallucination or something Mm -hmm. anyway that was pretty freaky but no, I don't believe in ghosts, actually. Since then, I don't know what's happened since then, but I'm just like, nah, nah. I, I definitely feel like when you're young, obviously when you're kids, but when you're a kid, but also I think, you know, even into your like teens and early 20s, like there's a lot of residual stuff from a kid where when you where the world doesn't really make sense, but so you mm. kind of come up with your own explanations for things. Mm-hmm. I think it can take a long time for that to get, shaken off so there's still like a part of you that's really receptive to the idea that something that we can't comprehend is going on yeah because i definitely feel like i was not like a superstitious person in my teens and 20s but if there was something weird going on like i would get very very afraid of it and not immediately leap to like oh it's just a weird noise or you know i'm just like I'm just hearing something in my head that's not really there. Like you do, yeah. you you are perhaps more willing to leap to supernatural explanations. Um, you talking then about you know recordings of ghosts? That stuff does freak me out because yeah. if there's ever like you know some documentary about ghosts or even just like YouTube videos where people will say like, oh, if you listen to this, you can hear clearly hear like a voice or whatever, mm. and anything where you have to like listen really intently and it's clearly like there's a sound there but also you know they've suggested to you this person this this voice is saying mary or something and mm-hmm. then you listen to it and then you can hear it and similar to like uh you know if someone tells you oh if you listen to stairway to heaven backwards it says here's to my sweet station and, and you listen to it and because someone's told you that's what it says yeah you hear it that sort of stuff does does freak me out because part of because on the rational brain is that's just nonsense noise and people are telling you that it's saying something but then the kind of non-rational part of your brain is saying but it does really sound like someone's saying something yeah. so you can't you can't 100 percent dismiss it but the, isn't what's more freaky is how impressionable our brains are because mm. you know because there are those kind of oral um illusion they're not illusions i don't tricks whatever um you know it's i can't remember what it is it's one where it's like if you're looking at the word robot you hear robot and if you're looking at the other word that i can't remember what it is which sounds nothing like robot it but it sounds like that word if you're looking at that word mm-hmm. and like no matter how many times i listen to this I'm not listening to it every day, but every time I come across it, like I really try 
to like hear the other word whilst that, but you just can't. Your brain is, the way the brain is like wired up, it like, if anything, it's just weirder about how what goes on in your head it can be quite different from what is meant to be going on in reality you know mm. when you see the see and hear these kind of illusions so that's it's kind like, of wild it's like that that thing that went viral a few years ago where it was a piece of sound and some people heard it saying yarny and i can't remember what the other word is because maybe it was robot ever, I, maybe this I, this I, is I, the thing I'm or talking maybe yarny about, and robot maybe it is that yeah maybe and maybe it'd be weird if like that is the we're thinking the exact same thing and each of us only ever heard one because i'm pretty sure i only ever heard yanni whenever that was no, I, could, I could hear both let me look this up sound illusion sound illusions oh well there was yanni and laurel yanni yeah yanni and laurel yeah maybe i'm kind of just mixing that up or maybe there is one with robot but yeah that's that it's that exact type of thing um but yeah, it's just, it's fun that like these stories that we, you know, come across, they make such an impression in our minds that, you know, because our brains do, like when it's dark, for sure, like your brain can just make you think you're seeing shapes and all stuff that isn't there. Mm. Um, I remember staying at John's sister's house and she's got this mirror in her bathroom where I don't know, it's like shorting out or something. So randomly in the middle of the night, it'll start flickering on. And if the door is open from the spare room, it looks like the entire house is lighting up blue and it's just kind of flickering. But like in that kind of like lightning in the house ghosts kind of way. So you're kind of, I remember lying there at night just thinking like, yeah, that that's freaky, but like mm. I'm guessing it's something in the bathroom. Should I be worried about like an electric fire? <laughs> yeah. But it's just like you can your brain can definitely go to if there were ghosts, for sure that's what I think it would look like. <laughs> mm. uh, speaking yeah. of um ghost things looking like ghosts, I I was very impressed with the effect in this episode when they're looking at the CCTV footage mm. and they see the kind of wispy version of howard um i thought that was like a really really effective way of illustrating that there is a figure there but they can't quite see what it is i I think this episode is a little hit and miss on its ghost effects like when Mm. they have to have the chair kind of zoom across the room and um try and block the door when the hit people are showing up to Mm -hmm. go after lauren that like that's a little cheesy but yeah. then the effect which i think is just like the actors being really good of the people acting as if their throats are being crushed mm. is like is very very effective at conveying that um what did you think about the effects do, 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 are they kind of slightly too cheap to make the episode as scary as it needs to be yeah it's one of these things where I feel like again suggestion and maybe like making a darker creepier atmosphere might have Mm. worked better i mean what they did was fine it definitely suggested um ghosts and everything obviously the kind of wavy lines um you know in that scene that kind of goes past lauren and towards the hit people um was kind of a bit 
cheap and whatever else but i mean it was it was fine um i mean what can you do when there's no one there i did also think with the stunt people um you know they're being punched by something invisible so they're kind of just reacting and i was kind of laughing because in a way i was like well they're always just reacting as though they are being punched even though they're not actually being punched so you'd think this would look better but perhaps Mm. we need to see the hand to really buy it um yeah it did yeah it just reminds me of i remember once our on our old radio show that we were doing with our friend neil where we had a buckaroo in the studio for some reason and i started pretending that it was the legs were flipping out and hitting me and it wasn't a million miles away from what i was doing um in the video that we took of that where yeah yeah, it just the lack of a physical threat does make it hard to really buy the reactions although they do a good job of like cutting it in after a hit Mm. to make like to show blood going down people's faces and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so they do it an okay job of that sort of stuff. I still yeah. think that the most effective ghost effect is no. the vision where she sees the blood in the bathtub no. yeah. because it's oh, not yeah. just no. No. the simple, the what would be the simple thing of she opens it and the whole bathtub is full of blood. It's like the bathtub is full of water and there's a little bit of blood and then the blood like spreads out and yeah. it's a really effective um, effect and it did make me wonder why more horror movies haven't done that because that does look really cool and eerie in a way that i think the the episode could have used more of that that whole sequence where she is going through her house and it's dark and she's holding the baseball bat and she's hearing howard recounting being murdered that's like the the absolute best actual bit of horror in the whole episode they killed him yeah absolutely um it gives you the heebie-jeebies for sure Mm. it's all very disconcerting and and whatnot whereas you know hitman being held up by the throat and you know Mulder coming in and seeing this person kind of levitating in the air was just kind of like oh but pointing out scully did not see this scully did not see anything yeah. um, so this is like classic scully's a few steps behind sort of thing and i feel like that scene would have had i mean in my head like i, re- I remembered that scene as well like it's i'm not gonna say it's iconic but certainly it's very memorable um but imagine if scully had seen that you're it, mm. like it's kind of like oh god damn it scully Take your heels yeah. off and run faster. <laughs> yeah, if she if she has to doubt her preconceived notions by seeing something genuinely inexplicable otherwise. Um, yeah, I was just about to say, she, it, she takes a really long time to get the house from the car compared she to does. Mulder. It feels like, like there's a good doing? 10... Yeah, she must she must have like started and been like, oh, I forgot to lock the car and turned around and then had to lock <laughs> it. That's, that's the only explanation I can feel. I, yeah. I can except maybe, for why she takes 20 she, seconds <laughs> yeah maybe she was wanting to just double check there weren't any people who were gonna like cut her cut the uh brake cable or whatever on the car like maybe mm. she, they had done earlier um oh that bit was very well done i thought the yeah uh, when they when they first go to see lauren and then they leave and then howard takes over the car and makes it reverse out into traffic so they get into an accident yeah that was I thought very very effectively done and like yeah. a decent kind of low 
low stakes action sequence where you do feel like they're in some real danger because the car is completely out uh, out of their control. Yeah, it's kind of like a nightmare as well. Like you don't want to be in a car and feel out of control. That's never fun, especially no. reversing. God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's worst. a it's a nice vision of our self driving future. <laughs> oh God, no! Don't say that. <laughs> um, well, and as well, sort of going back to the the smudgy cctv um image i did like uh it at the beginning of that scene when they go in to speak to to lauren and and they show her the photos of the two guys and say have you seen these people before and she says no and then scully's like well we know you're lying and, mm. and shows the cctv still of her kind of being grabbed by by them and then she goes have you seen this person and mm-hmm. it's like what, Mister Smudgy McSmudge Pants? <laughs> like, yeah, this. Uh, <laughs> how could she make that out? This yolk um, floating in boiling water <laughs> <laughs> effect that's just there yeah. on the screen. I would like to think that um, I know you so well, Ed. That mm-hmm. if I saw your sp- spirit smeared in a photograph, that I I would just recognize and i would know straight away yeah that's yeah that's it um maybe that's what they were hoping for yeah. um but yeah so so then after that they they they're at the garage with the car and they're like mechanic says everything's in proper order nothing cut nothing greased check out the lights they're on they're not the filaments are heated due to massive levels of electrostatic charge just like the bodies in the morgue. Did it occur to you what was missing, an important detail that was missing from that scene? No, what, what was missing? Their hair should have been standing uh, right on end. I yeah. realise it would have been much harder to take them seriously, <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been far more accurate, and I would have enjoyed it a lot. Um, I can imagine Scully's hair in particular, like the big bulbous red fuzz. Mm. Yeah, a lot of volume have... to play with. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was a bit sad that that, that that didn't happen, but, you know. We we also got in this episode uh, something that I think the show did more in later years and that a lot of shows have done in subsequent years. Uh, someone looking at a computer and saying enhanced by 10%. Yes. Um, when they're looking at surveillance photos of Lauren's house and they see that the figure of Howard is there, which leads them to think that Howard is still alive. Um, mm-hmm. That's obviously such a cliche that's been made fun of so many times in yeah. things over the years. But it's quite it's quite fun seeing it being done for that early in that technology's lifetime. It's not like a lot of shows were doing that. Um, mm. What one thing I found really funny about that scene is there's like, I guess the guy who's manning the computer, who's like you're meant to be the tech who's doing it. Um, at the end of the scene when. Mulder says that Graves is not necessarily not necessarily alive. He just has no reaction, and I assume it's because you know he's just an extra. He's obviously not being paid to do much. But in my head canon, it's because that guy he's just heard all this stuff from Mulder yeah. so many times over the years. He's just like, oh, he's talking about it. That guy's not really dead. Okay, just yeah. uh, just just don't 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 engage. Don't engage. You know, you you're, you're getting your pension in five years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just glad that they didn't do that enhanced thing on Smudgy McSmudged Pants. Yeah. That would have been... That would have been a lot. Yeah. 
Um, and also in terms of old technology, we get some microfiche again yep. when they're looking up the information on Howard's death. Always nice or, to see. Oh, that's really great. But there's something about this scene when they go to the graveyard and they see the caretaker, um, groundskeeper guy hmm. um, tending by the pond or fountain, whatever it was. There's something about that shot that I was just kind of like, I've seen this somewhere before. And like, is it like the the gardener from Star Trek who's like super wise and knows everything? Like, it was one informed the other? Because like, I don't know, there's just something in my brain of just like, I have seen this before a lot. And I can't figure it out. Anyway, that's an it, aside. It definitely feels like a character type that you see a lot in various um sci- sci-fi paranormal things where there'll be like one minor character who's really knowledgeable and you go it's it's funny that it's just like the guy who works at the graveyard who's like oh i attend all of the funerals <laughs> <laughs> and i have a very clear memory of how this this child died 20 years ago <laughs> yeah and the fact that the wife is buried over there it's very reassuring though i think because mm. i'm like well as long as the groundskeeper is at my funeral like at least there'll be one person there so that yeah. aside from me or my yeah. body at least so that'll be nice um yeah. no it was just like the composition of that particular shot mm. I don't know. Maybe it's just weird deja vu stuff, but I'm just like I'm sure I've seen this somewhere. Before. Yeah, it's it's. I think one of the funnier examples of something they make fun of as well in Law and Order. Um, whenever people like are doing parodies of Law and Order, where they'll go talk to a guy who's like moving boxes or something, and he just has loads of background knowledge about what's going on, and um, yeah, just like this kindly old groundskeeper who knows all that stuff. I, I we like don't that guy's have time to investigate this. Someone just needs to tell us some shit. Yeah. I liked that guy's performance. I thought it was very, it was the right level of eccentric, I think, where you just kind of got the sense, oh, this is just like a harmless old guy who's found his passion in life, which apparently is making sure that graves are well maintained. Excuse me, sir. Is there an office where I can get some information on those people? Who? I attend every funeral. I'm the last person to see them put to rest. So... That's nice. That is nice. That is nice. Um, but yeah, anyway, technology. There was a mobile phone. That was fun. Yeah, I don't know if we've had many of those in the series so far. Certainly, there weren't a lot of those around in, in the early 90s. Mm, yeah, so there was that. And then, the the daddy of technology that is, you know, the most important part of the plot, and that is the floppy disk in the wall. Mm, yeah. Yeah, very much a... Thing that people under the age of 20 probably have no frame of reference for. <laughs> just floppy, no. Other than the fact it's the save icon still. Which, yes. <laughs> um, which is, uh, I can't remember, there is a term for it where like something comes to... or something? Maybe, yeah. Where, some, where something becomes a... Where old, old technology becomes reference... Uh, becomes kind of like a reference point, even though it's no longer relevant. Same as like... Um, the like rewind and fast forward on a remote don't really relate to anything anymore because it was literally like the tape was moving forward or backwards yeah. and um yeah so that's yeah but yeah floppy disks used to have to carry those around if you had even any file of any size or if i remember having like various video games on floppy disks like x-wing and being having to put those into computers and having like having to swap out the discs if you got too far into the game yeah, and things like that. 
I'm just astounded that games fit on those things. Um, I, I still have one, or maybe a couple, like in my box of nostalgic stuff. I still mm -hmm. have this floppy disk, and like, I can't remember what it says on the label, but like, I've, I actually have no idea like what is on this disk. And I don't think I have any way of ever finding out. I know occasionally mm -hmm. people will do these like, I don't know, public engagement activities about like, obsolete technologies and stuff like that and you've got the opportunity to read old data formats and stuff but like this could be a really embarrassing diary from when i was like 13 <laughs> or something there is no way in hell i'm gonna let that be opened in public <laughs> so i i'm not entirely sure how i'm ever gonna find out what's on this thing um I just bring it with me for for lols at this point, I guess. But yeah, Ske Skewamorph is is the name of um, a graphical user interface designed to describe interface objects that mimic their real world counterparts, yeah, um, but obviously cool. in a digital form, they just don't look like that anymore, as you described. Yeah, um, I think I don't know if it was you I was mentioning this to really, but something that I think really messed me up when someone told me about it is how if little kids are pretending they're on the phone they don't do this anymore they just hold that they, they don't do it with the thumb and finger they just hold a flat hand and think yeah. oh yeah and i understand why that would be they've never ever seen anyone hold a phone <laughs> the no, way that no. people would be used to but it's still it's that's that's something that i found very weird um also reminded me there's a movie from four or five years ago at this point called eighth grade which is set in the wasn't it? No. Oh, what was it? Maybe it was the movie. There was there was some movie that was set in the nineties, and um, they had to teach the young actors how to how you would use a calculator by like hold by doing it one finger at a time because all of them would just hold it up and like use them like their phones. <laughs> I kind of think, you know, yeah, that's that's how they would be used to holding something like that. They wouldn't think to just tap have it flat and then use a finger to tap it out. But yeah, that was that's um, funny. Yeah, a, w a weird thing to think of when you're making a movie set during our childhoods is like, oh yeah, kids nowadays they would they would hold calculators in a way that actually probably is a little easier for like typing things in more quickly. But that's definitely the sort of thing as a viewer of our age, you would definitely pick up on that and be like, that's mm -hmm. weird. I thought there were some some quite good lines in this episode. Uh, I particularly like the when they're talking to the agents at the beginning are from the the cia uh where the cia agents have said absolutely nothing in response to any of their questions and at the end of their consultation the uh one of the agents says we request full denial and Mulder says i'd say you people already suffer from full denial mm -hmm. which i thought was quite funny and then you lied you have seen it before i can tell you lied to them i would never lie I willfully participated in a campaign of misinformation. Which is a, a very funny uh, little line from, from Mulder. And just in general, I do like the depiction of the relationship that they have with the CIA agents, which I think does chime uh, truthfully with like any depiction or anything you ever read about the way in which the various... Um, agencies in the US interact with each other which is a lot of scepticism and a lot of unwillingness to share information mm. um, so, which obviously in this case hinders the investigation up to a certain point and only when 
the CIA are willing to share their information do they actually make any sort of progress um, but I thought that was like nicely done as indicating even if these people are on the same side they have their own little fiefdoms and they're yeah. not necessarily willing to step outside of them even if it's for their own interests I have one more question Okay. which I think probably you will know the answer to and this probably shows my massive ignorance but the very final scene um, Mulder and Scully have just seen Lauren drive away off into the sunset mm-hmm. sort of thing Hey Scully, do you believe in an afterlife? I settle for a life in this one Have you ever seen the Liberty Bell? Yes You know, I've been to Philadelphia a hundred times and I've never seen it You're not missing much it's a big bell with a big crack, and you have to wait in a long line. Yeah, I'd really like to go. Why now? I don't know. What is the relevance of that? Is that just chat, or does or does it have some relation, some meaning to the episode in in a, in a deeper way, or is it just throwaway dialogue because they had a few seconds left to fill? Uh, I think it was, it's two things. One, the Liberty Bell is in Philadelphia. Yes. So obviously, like the fact that the story is taking place in, in Philadelphia would make sense that we talk mm-hmm. about it. It's a big um, uh, it's a big tourist attraction there. I, I forget the exact relevance that it has to like the founding of America, but I think it's like the bell that was like rung to announce that the Constitution had been signed, mm-hmm. maybe, because um, it's all it's at Liberty Hall where a lot of that stuff, or Constitution Hall where a lot of that happened. Mm-hmm. And there's like a big crack in it and the crack has never been um, filled because it's kind of this big part of like American Mm. mythology. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, we see a quote from Benjamin Franklin um, throughout the episode, which is uh, one today is worth two tomorrows, which is, you know, an aphorism that's meant, you know, you shouldn't kind of like put off. So I think it kind of ties into that sense of like, you know, you know, if you could die anytime why not do something that you've been meaning to do Uh, so i I think that is kind of the that's the reason they're having that conversation is this experience with the supernatural and the afterlife has made them think has made Mulder at least think you know i you know if you live in dc you're fairly close to philadelphia but you've never been to see the liberty bell why not you know do that and kind of knock that off your bucket list I not that they would have said bucket see, list obviously i see so the whole not having unfinished business deal i get it yeah yeah so it does connect to the theme of the episode even if it it also does kind of feel a little bit sideways from the rest of the episode because the the unfinished business angle of it is sort of not that central and like really it's only if as i have done if you've like written down what the quote from mm. ben franklin is and it's just kind of think i wonder what the relevance of that quote is to this episode well there you go now we know so so yeah so what would you rate this one um well you know it was it was an enjoyable little romp um mm-hmm. and it held together quite nicely had quite a nice flow entertaining bants throughout um wasn't especially scary which is a ghost one it would have been great if it was just a bit more um thrilling in that sense so i think it's solid i think i want to give it like a a six a six yeah yeah that's that's basically i think where i fall on it it's like you could definitely see the ways in which it could have been better, but 
in terms of the the logic of it, it all holds together pretty well. There's some really good performances, and I think there are a lot. There are several really arresting images mm. in it, which are kind of put it above, you know, a five, which would be just like a bog standard functional episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think six six for this one seems about fair. Cool. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then please. Uh, like us, subscribe, review us on all of the platforms wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us grow our audience. You can also find us on Twitter where we are at the Far Room Pod, and you can email us at the Far Room Pod at gmail.com. Uh, get in touch with us if you've had any spooky. paranormal, yeah, spooky things in your life. If you've been to see the Liberty Bell, I also haven't seen the Liberty Bell, but also I don't live anywhere near the Liberty so I have an excuse. Uh, uh, we'll be next time we'll be talking about Ghost in the Machine. Yeah. It's about computers, yeah. so I'm sure this is going to be a fun one. Yes, honestly. <laughs> 90s computers. Honestly, so, so oh, excited for this one. Uh, and until then, it's goodbye from me. And bye from me. Is it?